Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm here with Kristen Hayback and Stella Garber to talk about all things tech and startups, leadership, marketing, product and sales, and of course, just about life in general. The three of us met years ago when we were building a tool you might have heard of called Trello. Kristen led sales, Stella led marketing, and I was a product leader there. Trello was acquired by Atlassian in 2017, and we've all continued on our tech career journeys. And of course, we remained close as startup veterans tend to do. We're really excited to share our stories and stories of other tech leaders in operational roles, highlighting how people work together in different orgs and how our careers have progressed while also living rich lives outside of work. I've been told it can happen. I'm Kristen. I'm currently the Chief Revenue Officer at Shogun. Before that, as Nikita mentioned, I, I led some sales teams at Atlassian, and then I was the VP of, of sales at Trello, and I am in the, the beautiful state of Connecticut, which is, is freezing cold right now. Ooh, and speaking of freezing cold, I'm Stella Garber, and I'm usually in Chicago, but I am wintering, snowboarding in Miami this year. It's my last week here. It's 65 degrees and everyone's saying that it's freezing um, and it's definitely not freezing. In addition to uh, leading marketing at Trello, I am also a very active angel investor, mostly in early stage tech companies. I've invested in about 32 of them now and also advise some VC firms, some startups and about all things marketing. And today we're going to learn all about Nikita Miller who is currently SVP of product at The Knot Worldwide. Nikita, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. But like I'll more, 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 more. I told you. Um, well, we'll start with the weather. We're in upstate New York. I live upstate New York after living in the city for many years with our three and a half year old son and our daughter turns two next week. So we have a full house um, working from home. I currently work at lead product at The Knot Worldwide. I've been there for a few months now, and it's been an awesome experience so far. It's really great to be working in a space that's all about joy and, and helping folks celebrate. So it's been really nice kind of intellectually and emotional, emotionally to be thinking about a totally different space than I have for the past few years in enterprise SaaS. Prior to The Knot, I did a short stint at an early stage startup building productivity software for revenue teams. And before that, I spent about five years at Trello, initially started to build out their enterprise product offering where Kristen, Stella, and I worked very closely together and eventually led the Trello product team. I've spent almost all of my career in in product management and a lot of that in education technology, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Really love the mission of education technology. Got a little bit jaded by, you know, to what extent are we an education company, a technology company, or a business? And I think for venture-funded educational companies, that gets really tricky to navigate. So yeah, I've spent a lot of time in product, excited to talk about it. I've also lived abroad for a bit in Shanghai and London. That was most my most formative years as a product manager. And yeah, I think that's that's it in a nutshell. Like I already learned something new. Yeah, I, I didn't know, know that you lived oh, in yeah. Shanghai and London I, yeah. as a grown-up. As a grown-up. That was my <laughs> yeah, I, I lived in Shanghai for Were about you a big two years. <laughs> I lived in Shanghai for about two years and traveled back and forth between Shanghai and London for a year and a half. So yeah, I lived in Shanghai for a couple of years in London for a little bit. I'd also studied in London years before, mm. but yeah, as 
as a grown up. As a grown up, wow. going back is always different, especially to London. I was I was a grown up, but still early in my career, so not exactly living it up in London. Still. <laughs> um, That's pretty cool. So, but but let's start at the very beginning. Okay. I love to hear like let's hear a little bit about your because you're from originally from Jamaica, right? I am. Yeah. And originally from Jamaica. Moved to the States when I was about seven to Jersey, to a suburb of New Jersey. A lot of ways the, you know, the American immigrant story. I had someone ask me a question today about OKRs and why it resonated with me, like that the whole OKR process. And I was like, well, I've always been very goal oriented. And also I grew up in an immigrant family where you just kind of had to have a plan for everything. And so I think that like has informed a lot of how I approach the world. And are your parents upset that you are not a doctor or a lawyer? Is that also part of your immigrant experience? A little bit. They're not upset, but we still have to. Ex- I still have to explain what product what is. When I, when I moved to Shanghai, it was about a year out of undergrad. I was working at a little company in Stamford, Connecticut, doing my two-hour commute each way from Jersey, which was painful. Got this gig in Shanghai, and I, I was studying for the LSATs at the time. And I took the LSAT maybe four days, four days before I moved to Shanghai and just never looked back. (laughs) So, so the dream, the the dream was I was going to be a lawyer and do the whole thing. And for a while I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe I made the wrong decision. And now I definitely did not make the wrong decision. (laughs) Definitely. That's nice. So, all right. So you want to be a lawyer, but um, you go to school and you had a, Interesting major. Remind me what your major yeah, was. Yeah, I, I went to Cornell, studied industrial and labor relations. When I studied abroad, had a minor in his. Thought I was going to be a lawyer. That's why. What I should have done was probably either majored in Russian lit or German lit. But once again, like, how do you explain that you're a Russian lit or a German lit major and what you're going to do with your life after? So last time but I I really need to understand why you feel like that's what you should have done yeah you would have enjoyed it better or you feel like there were so many lost career opportunities because you didn't do that Russian lit no 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 I think it was just I would have enjoyed it so much more I would have enjoyed just studying literature much more I think I was also like a theater musical theater nerd in high school did that whole thing but I just really loved Russian lit and when I was in high school one of the classes we took we started a Russian lit program so I just I was a pretty like emo teenager. I was like reading Dostoevsky and I like discovered Anna Akhmatova. And so like Russian Latin poetry, I felt like I found my like soul connection, which is like very deep and dark. Yeah. Yeah. Emos at your school in Jersey were very different than emos in Northern California. So yeah, I just thought I would have enjoyed it more, but it didn't occur to me that I could just do the thing that I enjoyed as an option. Yeah. And so, okay, so that was your major. And so how did you even discover product management and product? And Yeah, I so thought I was going to be a lawyer. In undergrad, I interned at a law firm, and then I interned in investment banking for two summers at a pretty big firm. And I, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> every day I dreaded it you know this feeling you get this feeling in the pit of your stomach every day and you're like ah so I remember that first summer I was so grateful it was like a paid internship which was huge because I was on I had lots of student loans so I had this paid internship from bank actually an undergrad my first was an internship 
and then corporate law firm. And I had a mentor there and he goes, try something else. Like you can always come back to corporate law, like go out there, explore. And so the next summer I went and I had this internship in banking and my mentor was like, when I said, try something else, I didn't mean investment banking. Something more, something more soul crushing than than even law. (laughs) (laughs) So I did that. And that whole summer I met amazing people, learned a lot, but I was miserable. And the whole time I was like, oh my God, maybe they won't give me an offer for next summer and I'll have to find something else. You know, I had like this thing and then they did and you don't turn down a paid internship at a big bank. So I did it yeah. again. And that whole time I was like, oh my God, please don't give me an offer. Like, I need to get out. <laughs> you know, this feeling because I was miserable. And they gave me an offer and it was right around when the economy was going to pieces. And I was like, I can't not do it. But then I did. It was my senior year. I was graduating early and I was having a lot of like deep conversations with myself. My brother is also in finance. And I remember calling my brother and he was like, are you crazy? What are you going to do? Like, I'm supposedly the free spirit of the family. And so I talked to my, I know, which is picture that picture that. (laughs) So, so yeah, so I called my family. I called my mom, my brother, and we talked and I was just like, I just can't do this. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I like just thinking about having that be my day to day. It's just like, I feel like I'm already crushed before even starting it. And so I decided I was going to find something else. So through a series of networking, meeting someone in my acapella group, whose dad did something like I landed this gig and in Stanford as an associate market marketing was not for me. (laughs) <laughs> but but it was there that I kind of learned a little bit about product management. It was a bit of an incubator. The, the company had bought a couple of startups or acquired a couple of startups. So I had to do a lot of, you know, customer support and triaging and talking to engineers and, and talking to users. So I did all these things that I didn't even know was a skill set, really. Yeah. And that's how I got introduced to product management and stayed there for about a year got uh, a gig in Shanghai working for a language learning company. And at the time it was either Shanghai or Sao Paulo. And I was like, I don't really know much about China. Sounds great. Let's go check it out. So that's how I ended up in product management. Just so yep. just like somewhere there's a Kristen that took Macy's, there's a yes, you exactly. that took Sao Paulo and is like living <laughs> or, the great South American life know, right now, exactly. right? <laughs> that's just so fascinating that you were just like, I'm just going to go like, did you have any second thoughts or, or like imposter syndrome or anything like that? Not, not really. I was, I think I was, I mean, you're like, I was, we were young. I was very young, much younger and naive. And I was like, this is going to be great. It's going to be an adventure. I don't know anything. And also I'd moved back home and I was living at home and like trying to figure out whether I was going to move to the city. And it just seemed like a good time. And I was running away from the LSATs. Mm. I was like, getting away from from law school. Yeah. Run to China so you don't have to go to law school. That's great. Wow. Oh, the energy and vigor of our early 20s. If only. Exactly. (laughs) And okay, so I'm going to ask a different question. So you're known as being like a great people manager. I think everybody knows that. When did you make the leap from being an IC to a manager and why? Yeah. I'm thinking I I moved from oh I was gonna see and I seen when I was I was in Shanghai for a few years and then I couldn't figure out where to go. I thought I was gonna move back home and decided to move to London instead. And my manager and a good friend at the time was like, Don't go back to New York yet. We're building out a product team in London. Why don't you help us do that? And so that was a transition. The transition was I'd 
the product I was working on at the time, I, th I felt like I'd reached the limits of it in terms of my contributions in some way. So I was thinking about what's next. I'd always wanted to be a people manager. I think it's also, <coughs> sorry, also part of what I find exciting about product management is even if you're not directly managing the people you're working with, so much of it is about how do you get the right people with the right skill sets and the right motivations to kind of build something great in the product or like reach certain outcomes. So I think it was really relevant. I also, you know, I think there's some, like when I think about exceptional product managers, <laughs> right, that like live and breathe a certain kind of product development. I don't think I am that, but I do really love teams and like what teams and people can produce and create together. So it felt kind of natural for me to move into more of a management role. And when I made that leap, it was more of a, a coach. I was still doing IC product management and more of a mentor coach to a couple of, of PMs. And also at the, the time, a couple of engineers, actually, because it was a small team. Mm -hmm. And do you, I guess, do you, is that where you get the most joy or pleasure? Do you still enjoy managing a team? I do. Yeah, which is which is funny because I, I meet a lot of managers who <laughs> who don't, <laughs> right? Because it takes so much energy. It's a lot of energy that I think is mostly unseen, unseen, unappreciated. <laughs> it's a, yeah, there's a lot to it. But I think yeah, I do. I really do enjoy management. I I love the idea of helping people. It sounds and it sounds kind of cliche, but I really do love the idea of helping other people discover what they're great at and what works for them. So I find that to be really energizing. And, and I think for, you know, like, when I think about product development, in terms of product design, engineering data, like all of these skill sets, I think I'm, I'm okay at most of them. Right. But there are people that are just excellent at it, like mm -hmm. much better than I am. And so I don't have too much ego about, you know, having the people that are great at the thing do the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an important point, right? Because it's like, you know, sometimes being the very best at whatever it is doesn't mean you should go run the team of those things. And and I think a lot of times people kind of get boxed into like the only way for career growth is to become a manager. And, and I think yeah. there are, we should celebrate more when someone is like a really awesome individual contributor and recognize the skill set it takes and the enjoyment and reward that you get from being a manager is like oftentimes a very different set yeah. of skills, right? And it really is about, you know, doing a lot of that unseen work and, and still being rewarded by it and, and recognizing that you also can't be the best at that thing because you have to let your team go and be the best at it. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah. In fact, you oftentimes get worse because you're further and further that's away right. from right. the craft. So yeah, yeah. It's a that's sacrifice. Right. How many folks are on your team now, Nikita? Or how many folks are you managing? Um, right now, well, I I manage five, five people now. We are a product team of just over 20. Okay. Well, and let's talk about that. So like yeah. you've worked at startups, you've worked at bigger companies. Tell us about like the differences between those things or all of the things. I'm giggling. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I've worked. I've, I've also similar to, to you both. I've done the range. I think everyone has a, I, well, you find a sweet spot 
right? I think I'm not sure, like, full, I'm not sure that I'm ready right now. I, I tried a stint at a smaller company. I think it was maybe a little too small, too early for me in between great people, great product, just maybe not the right team for me. I think there is the space of, you know, scaling a product team. I really like that, you know, the product, some things have been built, it's maybe pretty good, or we, we're not, we haven't quite found product market fit, but we have a really solid idea. Like there's this area in there that is just about growing the team and building the product and developing that has like much faster clip. And then there's a little while later, that's really about how do you scale the team, the products and practices so that as the, the product grows, as a product matures, you have the right set of skill sets there. I, you know, if the question is like, where, where do I feel like I, I've found space there? What I'm not sure. Or just like the differences if, if someone yeah. is, trying to think about yeah. like, do I join a startup? Do I join in specifically in product management? Yeah. Okay. I think too, um, like one of the yeah. things I know that I hear that I, I can answer, I think kind of from a sales perspective, but curious from your perspective, which is that a lot of times people are at a big company and they're like, man, I just got to like, I want to join a startup. Like I want to be like where it moves fast. And, and I'll, I, I will often be like, yeah, there's a whole other trade-off, right? Like and yeah. making that shift from big company to small company, but then also making the shift from small company. And I know I, I, you know, I'll speak for myself, at least the culture shock of going from Trello at a hundred and change people to Atlassian at thousands of people. It was really jarring for me, at least that experience. And all of a sudden, all the like overhead of being at a big company like that. Yeah. So yeah, just curious, you're, you've, yeah. you've done this, the gamut more than I have. So definitely curious your kind of yeah. thought on, I, on it. I think some of it is kind of, kind of what mode you're in, like some for, for product managers or any of us in the craft, like, are you in creator mode? Like, are you creating or are you optimizing? And I think the, the folks that tend to be drawn to startups. It's like you're creating, there's not much process. You just go in you figure it out. And, and every day you're probably just making something new. And that that's a different zone because you don't like, that's not where you usually have OKRs and these processes to figure out what to work on. It's just like, nope, we're at the beginning. We have a pretty good idea of that. We just need to build a bunch of stuff and we know what it is. And I think like that mentality and that skill set is what I'd call like more the creator mode versus the optimizer, which is right. You're in optimization mode. You have a product. It's pretty solid. It's like where Trello was when we were at 25, 30 people versus 150, 200, even at 150, 200, like we're getting into optimization mode. Like we found product market fit for the most part. There's a lot of work to be done, but that work is now a much more like dependent on research and experimentation in a way that the creator mode that I, at least that's the distinction I make is involved. And not everyone's made for that, right? Like with the bigger company comes a lot more processes, a lot more reporting, a lot more documentation, a lot more overhead. And, and that just isn't for everyone. I do think though, that when I'm looking at teams, I always want some creators <laughs> on every team, right? Because you do need the folks that can go from zero to one if new initiatives come up or, or just folks that are thinking about what the next horizon products or features might be. I really love that framework, the creator versus the, what did you call it? The optimizer? optimizer. Yeah. Optimizer. I also feel like a lot of times people think they sort of idealize joining a startup. And on the flip side, people who are burnt out by a startup idealize working at a big company. Yeah. And the reality is, like Kristen said, you know, 
that there are all of these trade-offs and you just have to pick what's right for where you are in your life. Right. And that's the other thing. Like it also, it totally varies, right? I think the amount of energy I probably have now given, you know, a young family where we're living, all this stuff, like it's a different kind of energy to be at a startup, right? Totally. Work-life balance just isn't, you know, isn't what people are optimizing for, for the most part. It's changing. Yeah, Yeah, it depends on the culture, hopefully. Yeah. 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 One one of the big things for me was actually the opposite, which was like, Hmm. I was on the road a ton at the big company. And because, you know, you had to go to all the different offices and you had to go to offsites and you had to go to Like I was on the road every two weeks, basically. And one of the big draws for me was like, oh, you don't have multiple offices. Great. <laughs> oh, you know, uh, that sounds great. Like you get together once a quarter. And yeah. so, you know, I, I, I think even there, there is probably even granularity there. I think like the ability to fail as catastrophically in a startup exist that doesn't end us in a big company, but the ability to like have things be able to just kind of like chug along doesn't really exist Mm -hmm. in a startup you know what I mean so like startups you have these like wild swings it's like gambling like it can be really exciting or you know you can put your money in a nice little 401k and it'll just and that's like a little (laughs) bit of how I think about like those those trade-offs and I think there is a part of where you're at in your life of like do you want to go put it all on on black or red or do you want to just like be stable I was gonna maybe it's just for all of our functions there's like you can go in and out, like all the skills that we have really are applicable across the teams or companies of different sizes. So there's an awesome flexibility that I, I, I appreciate in product, even if it's like, you know, I could also go back and be an IC, right? You could be an IC, you could move to med. There's there's just much more mobility, I feel, in a lot of these than than in other industries, which I appreciate. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that's a great point that you made, Kristen. There's also this idea of like how comfortable you are with ambiguity. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that's a big thing. Like I am the most comfortable with ambiguity. So I thrive in really early stage startups. And I'm often surprised when people aren't. And er, in early in my career, I was surprised. I thought everyone was sort of built the same way that I was, which yeah. thank God they're not. But that's a really, I think, a big distin- distinction too. Yeah. I think about that too. In the Even in big companies, it's even if it's not necessarily ambiguity, there's often a lot of change management, right? And so a lot of, I'd say one of the things in the past few years that I've been thinking about when I think about what makes a great product person or maybe just a great leader is your ability to manage change. And I think it's related to your ability to manage ambiguity because like if you're someone that's like can't handle it and lose it, it's gonna be really hard. Yeah. <laughs> right? start it for sure. To move up, especially in management. Like so much of management we're talking about, you know, the unseen yeah. work that managers yeah. have to do. And a lot of it is that, right? like is kind of bear the brunt of the emotional (laughs) overhead of managing change or just dealing with ambiguity and being calm in the process. Yeah. There's that element that's like, I feel it in parenting where like everything can be burning down and you tell your kid like, it's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. This isn't a big deal. And then you go into your own room and you're like, ah. (laughs) I'm like, there's a lot of that as a manager, especially in those early stages, right? We're like, it's fine, guys. We're not going to run out of money. (laughs) We'll do another round. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is, right? And then you go and you're like, (laughs) you're like looking at the numbers. So yeah, I, I totally... I totally agree with that. I I have a question for you, Nikita. One of the things that I 
really valued when I first met you was I think you're probably one of the best product people to think cross-functionally that I've met. You know, you just immediately came in and formed really good partnerships with with sales and marketing. You were like, hey, let me meet customers. You really got in there and, um, you know, wanted to, to form those bonds. How do you think about cross-functional relationships as a product person, as a product leader. Yeah. (laughs) I love this question. I know. I know. I love, I love this question. Yeah. I'm going to maybe a little spicy, but you know, this, I was thinking about this recently, this, we do have this phrase as like product as mini CEO. And I'm, I'm one of those product people that like, I, that, that phrase drives me a little bit nuts, right? Like I kind of, I understand the intention or maybe the the spirit of it, but I think it it misses what we're talking about, which is the like there is what I'd consider equal partnerships, right, across disciplines. And so I think I, I think it's really important to have, and I do have a really great respect for the other functions and what they they contribute to bringing anything like anything to market and to customers. So so that's always top of mind for me because I really do think it and it goes back to the this belief in like teams and the human ability to do really great things even within specializations like make an awesome product or achieve high outcomes. So I think about it a lot and that's what I talk with my teams about which is the like what does it look like to have shared understanding and mutual respect for what the other functions in an org like bring to making something great because it doesn't happen without them. So I think it's a little tricky because I've joined companies where it's just like, are we product led? Are we design led? Are we marketing led? And, you know, these conversations are happening right now and I understand them, but it's kind of like, but you need them all. So let's figure out what excellence looks like for each of them and what excellence looks like across, like cross-functionally. And that's something that I think is really important and really comes down to forming really great relationships with other teams. I think about that a lot. That's, that's on my mind. And I think I wish more people thought about it more. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And like made the effort. Um, Yeah. I think one of the hardest things at Shogun, one of the values we've kind of started to talk about on the exec team is like the idea of your OKRs are, are my OKRs. And like, there is this element of like, especially in OKR planning, when you get to that point as a company, it can be really siloed. You know what I mean? It's like my specific goals and like I have to deprioritize your stuff to get my stuff done. And I do think there is an element in that process that is missing what you just talked about, which is like understanding each other's goals and like kind of, you know, understanding what success looks like, I think is what you said for each group. And and not, you know, I have hot takes on OKRs. So we'll do a separate session on that. But like, I think that is one <laughs> of the things about, they do a lot of great things, but I do think OKRs tend to silo leaders a lot of times to not care what success looks for other people. Because as long as your board is green, you did it. You know? Yeah, for PMs, I mean, one of the one of the superpowers I think for really great PMs is is the ability to create like shared accountability, like to the extent that you can help marketing, sales, any of the other functions understand that their work necessarily impacts your work, which is what you're saying. Like, I think that is where a lot of magic happens because then this idea of the product manager or CEO is in part because there's a way in which when you look at an OKR chart, the PM ends up being really being the one that's accountable mm-hmm, <laughs> for getting sure. all this stuff together, right? But part of the, the superpower is how do you get other people on the team to also share the accountability with you? Right. All right. I'm going to move us in a different direction yeah. unless, Kristen, you have any other spicy, amazing 
product management questions. No, I mean, I just want to bottle Nikita up and, you know, give her to every product oh manager I've ever met. You just clone Nikita. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, Nikita, when I interviewed you at Trello for, for yeah. your job. I don't know if you remember that. But we were, like, talking about marketing and how product and marketing work together. And I just left the interview and I was like, we need her like tomorrow, like please, because yeah, yeah, yeah. no one really understood what marketing did. So okay, so let's talk about one of your big life passions. I think is running. Yeah. Oh yeah. Tell us about that. I feel like you you didn't um, tell. Yeah, I've been a runner pretty much for a, well for a long time. One of my favorite memories was when I was in middle school and I've just gotten permission to run by myself, like outside, run like my first three mile on my own. And I was there running in our neighborhood and I got this feeling and I was like, I think someone's following me. What's happening? And I'm there running. I was not allowed to wear headphones because I had to be alert because, you know, I'm 12, 13. I was like, I don't know what's going on. And then I, I look behind me and, and I see my dad's car <laughs> like Aww. a few blocks away. And that's one of my, yeah, anyway, that's one of my favorite running memories. And I think about that a lot. So I've been running for a while, cross country. I was also a triple jumper wow. in high school. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So mostly jumping um, and reading Russian literature. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be friends with, oh, and musical theater. And too. High school and musical musical theater. Theater. So I was a triple jumper and mostly a sprinter in high school. And then in college, I had like a half a semester of being on the team at Cornell, which was absurd because I was not good enough to be a triple jumper on that team. And also I discovered how much I hated competing. Mm. Like, I loved running, but I did not like competing. Like it made me kind of ill a little mm. bit. So that was an interesting realization. So then once I stopped doing it competitively for everyone's sake, that's when I got more into distance running. I find it really meditative and yeah, I just enjoy it. So I try to run every week a few times a week. I run a couple of marathons. I ran the Philly marathon a few years ago and then and then I ran the marathon 6 months after Miles Henry was born. Oh wow. Which was just like you know, <laughs> we, we should talk about it. We should dig into that because that was let's, crazy. Let's dig into that because I do remember you were telling me that you were going to run this marathon six months postpartum. Post I, I think know. I was maybe like nine to 12 months ahead of you in the mom journey. And I was like, please like, don't do that. Doing? But, it, you know, I was I was signed up for it. I was supposed to run the New York Marathon with Brendan, a friend of ours, actually. Mm-hmm. And then I, I was pregnant. And so I was like, I'm not going to run it while pregnant because that just seemed like a stretch. So you had a year to postpone. So I did. And then at that point, I was like, okay, this is going to happen. And it was a really, it was really good for me. Because I think the time just had a baby just trying to figure out kind of, who am I? What am I now as a mother? Am I still a runner? Can I still run? How on earth am I ever going to get enough time for myself? Yeah, (laughs) to even think about running more so actually run and, and so it was a really amazing forcing function for me and for David, my husband, to be like, no matter what, every week I need to get like X number of miles or X number of hours to myself, which as a new mom was something that I think had I not had that goal, I probably wouldn't have done it. And so I could just say, oh, baby's going to be fine. Here you go. I'm going to go for a long run and just go running for two or three hours, running slash walking slash waddling, like whatever that, (laughs) you know, like whatever that was. Various states, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was this time that was just carved out for me. And so now I'm really grateful that 
that I did that. Now fast forward after Isadora, I was just like, what were you thinking? Like three years later, it's like, nope, we're good. I don't need to prove anything to anyone. Right. Not even not even myself. Like we're yeah. okay. It's funny. That's amazing. Because- it's so lovely hearing you talk about that. And I was thinking like how Stella, you said you were surprised in life when you found out other people weren't as comfortable with ambiguity as you are. I've always hated running like legit. I think it's the worst thing on earth. Don't know why people do it unless they're being chased. And I've always thought people thought the same as me that everyone was just <laughs> doing it because they had to do it. That it was like a thing that like, you're like, I just need to be in shape so I won't run. It's actually really very lovely to hear your your kind of more philosophical like thoughts on it. And, and yeah. it's, it's just really, it's a good reminder that we're all, yeah, wired. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm I totally with Kristen on, on the thinking running is horrible, <laughs> but I, I also, but yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's a really lovely story. Thank you Thanks. for sharing that. Sure. So how old are your kids? Three and a half and two. Three and a half and two. All right. Yeah. So- how do you manage ambition and balance? Ooh. <laughs> We're going all in, ladies. There's no other way. I know. I mean, if uh, you can run a marathon six months <laughs> postpartum, these are soft. These are soft questions. Um, <laughs> I'm doing six months postpartum. I'm pretty sure I was watching Real Housewives six months post uh, the twins for what it's I think balance. Well, I, I feel really I feel really blessed. I'm grateful because we have my aunt is my family and she lives with us. And I think a lot of our lives right now is because of that. Like having someone that you know and trust and love grown up with, like just changes it. So I can talk about like how I try to balance it, but that's like at the core. The core is like close family. Child care. Trusted child care. Trusted family family, child care that makes everything possible. And I feel like, um, I think my aunt and you guys, you guys know my husband, David, I think, you know, living, having folks that understand my ambition is really important. And also understand that like, everyone experiences this differently. But like, I, I am ambitious, and I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. So having a family that we can like negotiate what that means together is really important. And I think, yeah, there's a way in which like, you know, I've always wanted to have a family. I've always wanted to have a career, right? An ambitious career. So, so now at this moment, there's just like, oh, wow. And now both things exist. What does that look like? And so a lot of the work now is to, to figure out what that looks like and maybe to create it a little bit. I think I've had some really great mentors. Most mentors, I think, in tech have been men, but I've had some great female mentors as well. And for the most part, they didn't balance it. So I'm learning a lot from them about how to maybe create what I want because I haven't really seen it. Does that make sense? Like they're amazing and they had these amazing careers, but it was either they just took the time off completely to raise the kids and then they came back or Mm -hmm. they admittedly just didn't have as much time with their kids as they would have hoped. So, so yeah, I think we're trying to find a different way and that different way, honestly, because we're in tech is, is I feel like we're really lucky, you know, Mm -hmm. really lucky where at this point in our careers, I can also say, hey, you know, these are the boundaries, like between these hours, they're kind of untouchable. I can before after I'll probably be online, but there's like 
time that's for my family, for the kids that I don't really mess with, weekends, you know, bath time, bedtime, story time, didn't like, the, you know, there are these hours that you can carve out. So, so yeah, so that's what we're trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do now is to figure out what, what those boundaries are. And I feel like a lot of it is on me to create the boundaries and maybe be an example also for my team of mm, what it looks amen. like to create those boundaries. This might be a stretch, but I feel like our generation of women in tech, leaders in tech, I don't know that there have been this many ever, right? And yeah. so there's a way in which I feel like we have, I won't say it's a responsibility, but we have the opportunity. Opportunity, yeah. And not just women, or right. not just moms, Parents but definitely, de- yes. yeah. Right, Parents. like I think, yeah, even like humans, people, even without kids, like I think there's so much opportunity for people to have rich lives outside of work. Right. And that and that comes back and like enhances and their, that their work. The standard, yeah. the new standard. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I'm really excited that we have this opportunity. That's the right word. Opportunity to kind of try it a little differently. All right. Let's wrap this up. Unless, Kristen, you have anything else, I'm going to ask the one last deep question, which is if you could give yourself... Uh, advice. If you could give yourself 10 years ago, I'm not sure how I phrase yeah. this question, but you're given, you're seeing yourself give your younger years self. Ago. Give your younger <laughs> self advice. Thank you. Yeah. I'd say, I think I'd tell myself, it's okay that you're slightly neurotic and a planner. It's okay. <laughs> I'd be like, it's okay. Just like accept who you are and go with it. I think at some point I would have said, I would have said something like, you know, don't worry, it'll all be fine. And, and I was like, Yes, I think that's probably right. But I really like the way things have turned out. So if it took that version of me to get me to where I am now, I wanted to be mm-hmm. like, you're good. Just like, do your thing. Love that. Yeah, I do too. Well, that was awesome. Thanks so much, Nikita. Thanks. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. And legit, I learned a ton of stuff, which makes me think I probably should have asked you more questions about you through the course of our friendship. So maybe I learned a little something about me. I talk too much about myself, but thanks, Nikita. Um, thanks, ladies. And thanks, thanks everyone for joining us. Next week, we're going to be going through Stella's journey in yeah. the startups, marketing, and, and angel investing. She'll also give us all the Miami hotspot. But that's it. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks, all.